morning, Grace Chapel, Wilmington. It is great to be with you here this morning. Uh, great to uh, stand before you. Hope that you bear with my voice a little bit. I've got a little uh, Barry White going on this morning, so a little cold down there. But, uh, you know, this week I've been thinking a lot about, uh, about the word surrender. Uh, there seems to be little room in our sort of social psyche for the idea of surrender. To surrender, it seems, means to admit defeat, to give up, to, to acknowledge our weakness. And uh, in my American history courses growing up, I remember reading a lot of moments of military surrender as I made my way through our history as a country. And uh, what's really interesting is that all these stories, in all of them, there are other people surrendering to us, right? Cornwallis at Yorktown to mark the end of the Revolutionary War. The Germans surrendering to the Allied forces to end World War I. And then, of course, Hirohito on the deck of the USS Missouri in Pearl Harbor, where World War II began for the Americans, very symbolically uh, making his surrender to lead us out of World War II. Now, the fact is, as a country, we've experienced our fair share of military defeat. Um, I was thinking of one of the most famous American defeats in our history. Um, and it turns out it wasn't exactly an American defeat, uh, but one of, that was suffered by the Republic of Texas before they became part of the United States. Uh, it was their defeat at Alamo, the, the greatest military defeat that we can recall in our history. But get this. The very reason we cherish the memory of this moment is because we fought to the death, refusing to surrender. And uh, it became a rallying call uh, at, during that time and for future military endeavors. Um, and by the way, we don't just... Not, we, we don't just like not surrendering on the military field. We like not surrendering on the football field as well. I'm wondering how many of you saw this chart recently, our win probability throughout the game. <laughs> At the end of the third, like never surrender the fire in the eyes of our team at the Super Bowl. They would not let it go. It is a great American tradition to be people who don't surrender. But today, we come to discover that there is a kind of surrender that is actually very significant, and a kind of surrender that actually leads to life. There's this type of surrender that is absolutely essential to the cultivating of a deep, rich, rooted life with God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are here in week three of our Roots series, our Roots Challenge, and I hope it's been going well for you. Um, I've enjoyed uh, walking around uh, the church on Sunday mornings and seeing uh, people filling my office and back in the corner room. Uh, I've enjoyed knowing that Sunday night uh, or Monday night, there's a group that's meeting up in the tower room that has swelled to, uh, to some significant ranks and knowing that the life communities are all making their way through um, this series as well. Uh, and I've loved sitting on my couch with my Mazizi book in the morning, opening it, and knowing that uh, we're all in this together, uh, those of you who are taking the, the daily readings as part of your Roots Challenge. So it has been a great, a great season. But I don't know about you, but I've, I've started to notice that there is a certain flow to the chapters as we've been going. Um, week one, it turns out, uh, is about 
our mind, helping us to develop right ways of thinking about who God is and right ways of thinking about who we are, allowing our mental constructs about God and about ourselves shape our living. And then this past week, this second week, was really about our heart, helping us to understand that Christianity isn't so much a religion as it is a relationship with a God who loves us. And nurturing a devotional life isn't so much about fulfilling some sort of religious duty as it is about spending time with a God who loves us like a friend, who waits for us to come and meet with him. Well, this week, week three, is really about our will. It's about our will. Coming to that deep place of being willing to offer up our very selves to God. And we'll dig into that a bit this morning. And in order to do so, we're going to turn to a really significant passage. It's Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and following. And it's at this moment where Jesus is is teaching in in front of the crowds. And his his disciples, his followers, are are standing alongside watching him and listening in. And his teaching begins to take this turn that that it seems that Peter, one of his followers, really doesn't like very much. He wasn't crazy about it. Let's listen in. Verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Now, what set Peter off was that Jesus was starting to indicate that he was making his way to die that he was actually going to make his way to the cross to offer up his life. And Peter didn't like that idea very much. The idea of losing in defeat and suffering in such a way was one that that Peter couldn't stomach. Uh, He was not going quietly into that night with Jesus. Uh, He was... He came away from that little pep talk of Jesus with, with like fire in his belly, ready to grab Jesus, look, in him, look at him in the eye, and convince him that he was way off track. And uh, don't you just love Peter? I mean, isn't this our natural inclination to take a problem, to take the resources of our lives and, and fix it, and, and, and to deter a, a negative outcome? We can do this. We can fight this. We can go after this. This was Peter's natural inclination. And can I say, in much of our lives, God does give us resources, abilities, opportunities, confidence to tackle a problem, to find solutions, to work our way to a better place. He puts, us, he puts in us this, this will to live, this drive to, 
to accomplish in this desire to succeed. Like that's a natural part of who we are as people created by God. But at this moment, Jesus isn't rebuking Peter's natural inclination to fix a problem. At this moment, Jesus is calling the question. He's calling the ultimate question of life. He's asking Peter, Peter, who is in control of your life? Peter, who is it that holds the keys to the outcome? Peter, who is it that calls the shots, that, that determines whose purposes your life is being lived for? Now, Jesus knew that, that it was his own purpose to follow the will of the Father. And he understood that God had called him on earth for this moment, specifically for Christ. He knew that it meant that he was to lay down his life, to take upon himself the brokenness of the world and the sin of all humanity and in the greatest act of all, of, of all to offer himself sacrificially on behalf of the world. And so it's interesting to me that when Peter starts to rebuke Jesus at this very point, that Jesus turns and does what? He rebukes Peter right back. What does he do? He calls him the devil. Interesting. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm not certain, but I wonder if this moment brought Jesus back to his own temptation of Satan in the wilderness when Satan three times kept offering Jesus a different way to glory than the way that was the path of suffering, a less costly way than the way to obedience and surrender. And so with Satan, it seems there's always a better way to get what you want than to have to turn to God and ask him what he would have you to do. There's always a shortcut, always a way that you can do it without God. You see, the enemy of our souls always wants us to fight the urge to do the thing that God wants us to do. And so Jesus was teaching Peter that at its essence, the true way of life is the way of surrender, surrendering to the will and the purposes of God. And it leads us to our first point this morning. And that point is simple. To surrender isn't so much about giving up as it is about giving over. It's not so much about giving up as it is to give over. You see, you don't just surrender when you find yourself backed into the corner and there's no other options out. When you've been outgunned to the point of obvious and you just have to stop and relent. No, it's one of the limitations of the military analogy, actually. Surrendering doesn't just mean that you have to stop and give up. Surrendering is approaching God with an open hand, giving him what is ours and trusting him to, that he knows best what to do with it, taking what he needs to take and putting back what he needs to put back. And I know what I need right now is this it. <laughs> I put ice in there, but that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Wait for my crunch. So to surrender isn't about giving up. It's about giving over. You know, every once in a while when it's uh, time to transition my, my six-year-olds to bed, um, I find them, you know, getting up the stairs and making their way into their bedroom, and, and, and I can tell things are taking longer than they need to. 
Uh, like, why aren't you in your PJs yet, you know? Why haven't we moved along? And, uh, and, and then I'll look down and I'll see their, their, their fists and their knuckles are like white. And I know something is in their hands that are holding them up. And sure enough, my girls love to play with marbles in our dining room floor. Sure enough, if I open their hand, I find the marbles. Now, when they were young, I used to just, you know, take them out of their hands uh, because I could. <laughs> you know, I am dad. Um, but as they've gotten older, they've gotten stronger and their little fists grip tighter. And I've realized that it's much better to, to say to them, uh, open your hand and give me the marbles and to stand and wait until they're persuaded, which usually happens. Um, but two things are accomplished. Number one, the marbles are out of their hand. And number two, they have learned that moment of surrendering their will to me, their dad. Maybe not so willingly, but at least willing enough to open their hand and to help me to move things along. Now, we all know that when that moment happens, that then the things that are important for them can happen. They can brush their teeth, they can be clean, they can go to bed and get the rest that they need. You see, to follow Jesus is to live open-handedly before God. It's to give over to him our entire lives and trust him that he knows best what to be done about it. And so Peter's inclination was to close his fist, to hold on tight uh, to, to the dreams that he had, to the plans that he had for his future. I mean, he had left everything and banked on Jesus to the life and significance that he'd hoped to accomplish. And here he felt it was slipping away. And there are moments like that when we feel like opening our hands might mean giving it all up. But Jesus was reassuring him. It is the way to live. Our natural inclination is to tighten our grip. But Jesus teaches us that life of following him means to live open-handedly. To surrender isn't to give up, but to give over. The second thing is that to surrender is actually to open ourselves up to better things. There's this little phrase in the scripture. It says, for whoever wants to save their life will actually lose it. But whoever loses their life for, for my sake, for me, and for the gospel will save it. So here's the deal. I don't know how you live. I don't know how white your knuckles are. But close-fisted living, what it does is it fuels a self-centered mindset. Because you know what a closed fist says? A closed fist says these things in my hand are mine. They belong to me. They are mine to do as I please. And our culture fuels this idea, right? The pride of ownership and possession. Don't let anybody in between those knuckles. But we all know that a life lived to serve ourselves, at the end of the day, eventually becomes nothing more than a prison that we find ourselves trapped in. Trapped by our petty wants that, that drive us and inhibit us from being the people that we know we are meant to be, that we've been created for. We know that life like this doesn't lead to our beauty and goodness. It leads to harm and detriment. The consumer within us, it turns out, starts to contend for our very soul, the consumer that says, this is mine. 
And Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? Jesus counters the selfish inclination by inviting us to, to lose our lives for the sake of himself and the sake of the gospel. Now I can hear the skeptic uh, in the room who might, who might argue that this was nothing more than a power play by Jesus. Of course, wouldn't it be nice if we all asked the people in our lives to lighten their hold on their world so that they could follow us? Um, it's a legitimate question. Jesus did seem pretty sad on this idea that those who follow him would surrender to his leadership and to his authority. But if you think, but if you think it was out of ego or pride or out of a, a clamor for attention or position, then I would argue you're missing the whole point about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to make a name for himself. He didn't, he didn't come to, to start an organization that he was at the head of. He didn't clamor for accolades or the crowds. He didn't come to amass a fortune or centralized power. Jesus came into the world to liberate the world from the bondage it has been held in. The bondage of suffering and sin and disease and sickness and yes, the bondage that oftentimes stems from our selfishness, our selfishness that holds on to what we want. And so he's calling us to release our hold on our lives and onto this world and to learn what it means to gain through letting go, to experience the kind of kingdom that he's come to establish when we release our hold. Lose your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And this surrendering is a putting to death of things that we hold dear, of letting things die in our lives, maybe that need to die in order for life to spring up. This is the deep secret of the beautiful life with God in this world. Now, if we can learn to live by getting ourselves out of the way, we can learn to live the life that God has for us. So surrender is to give up, not, not to give up, but to give over. To surrender is about opening ourselves to actually better things. And then finally, surrendering is, is a process. Surrendering is a process. No ice this time, right? Did it. It's a process, but that process begins with a very bold, audacious first step. It is that step of full surrender. This is where surrender starts. Surrender is about starting by opening your lives and giving over everything that you have to God. Now, I have to say I was a bit reticent to use that, that language of full surrender, but that's what Jesus calls us to. Give up it all. Give all of it up to me and to my kingdom and to the gospel. I, I was reticent because it sounds daunting. It sounds like too much to ask of any, you know, mere human being to really be able to offer. It seems like an outrageous request. But then we remember it's nothing that God hasn't been willing to offer for us through the gift of his son, the ultimate surrender of himself. And as we've learned, as we've been learning through the first two weeks of our series together, we're coming to understand that there is no one better to manage our lives in this world 
than the one who created it out of love and the one who loves us most dearly. And secondly, it's important to offer yourself fully because surrendering ourselves by increment is actually a horrible way to live. Giving away just this niggling of an ounce or this small thing. Until we've surrendered it all, we don't realize that those other little things really are just that. Little things in life that we need to let go of. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all of the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit, I will give you a new self. In fact, I will give you myself. My will shall become yours. Now, I read that, and I love the idea, but the idea of a hacked down tree didn't seem to fit really well in our roots imagery, did it? <laughs> like, we want our trees to grow. I, I kind of like the idea of a transplanted tree, one that is pulled out of the, 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 the the, the tepid and, and dead soil of self and is transplanted into the rich, life-giving soil of Christ. Like that transplant, all in. Let's do that. Let's live that way. Um, the surrendered life is, is really to give back to Jesus the life that he's given to you and, and to return, in return, receiving his life lived through you. Um, as I said, once the big work of surrender is done, uh, then, the, then the pruning that comes after that uh, is just part of the process of life. Now, once the bigger act is accomplished, the smaller acts of surrender become nothing more than, than follow through. Um, if you've given your life to Christ your whole life, if you've made that willing decision to, to gain your life by losing it, then you've already started to see the benefits of the richness of the life. And then the fruit of the spirit that come, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Well, the question, question I have for you this morning is, what are, you, what are you having a hard time letting go of? What is making your knuckles white these days? And I have to believe that for every one of us, a simple ask of the question brings to mind something. We're going to give you an opportunity a bit later in the service, uh, just after a story that's shared, to ask that very question. And can I encourage all of us to look down at our hands with our hands closed and ask ourselves, what is in there that I'm let, not letting go of? And remember, we gain always when we let go. We gain always when we let go. Abraham surrendered the security of his family, and he discovered the promised land. 
Esther surrendered the simple life of obscurity that she was living as a young Jewish woman, woman and received the strength from God to become the rescuer of her people. Moses surrendered his position of royalty and that regal staff. And in its place, God put a staff with God power. David surrendered his pride when he came to the point of admitting his guilt, bearing himself before God. And in return, he found forgiveness, a clean heart. Mary surrendered her reputation and her standing in the community to become the mother of our Lord Jesus. The woman at the well surrendered her sin and her shame and in return received a new vision of herself as loved and forgiven and valuable. Paul surrendered the sword and discovered a power greater than that of coercion, the power of love. And he wielded that new power with beauty and grace throughout his ministry. Peter surrendered his boat. He surrendered his livelihood, his security, his stability. And he found a greater and deeper sense of purpose in this world than he could have ever have imagined. And of course, Jesus surrendered the sweetness of perfect community with the Father and Son and Spirit. He surrendered his safety and his protection, his comfort, and ultimately surrendered his very life. And he found the joy of resurrected life, that life that he turns to us and offers as freely as he possibly can as a gift to be received. The question is, what are you holding tight-fisted to? these days? Is there something God's spirit is nudging you to let go of? Something that he'd like you to, to give over to him? And what if you chose not to give this thing over to God? Might you be losing out on in your life? I'd like to invite Priscilla Simonson to come up and share with you a bit of her story. She is one of us, and it's a simple story of, of her act of surrender. And would you welcome her? Hi everyone, my name is Priscilla and I've been worshiping here at Grace for just about six years since the very first Sunday here in Wilmington. I was raised in a Christian home and we attended an evangelical church and as a young girl I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive my sins but I didn't really understand what it meant to have Jesus in my life. I rarely heard people talk about the difficulties in life and how they got through them things seemed per perfect for everyone else, but I knew they weren't for me. I was the youngest in a family of achievers, and I learned that it's better to perform and achieve than it is to admit my mistakes or talk about anything difficult. And so began my struggle with perfectionism. Pressures during my teen years ramped up, and I learned to act the part of a good Christian to please my family while finding the acceptance and attention I yearned for and things that led me away from God. Life took off, school, career, marriage, and children. Most of it was really fulfilling, but my marriage really struggled. I worked hard to be happy, a happy wife, to look the part of being a happy wife and busy working mother, but I was really struggling on the inside. My reality was very far from the perfect image I was working so hard to portray. I turned more and more to things that were unhealthy to fill that need. Uh, 
in particular alcohol became a real snare for me as I began to use it to numb and avoid the pain that I was in. Through all of this, even though I wasn't asking help or seeking God, he was pursuing me in many ways. Eventually, he brought me to Grace Chapel, Wilmington. I'd sit over there and experience peace that I'd never experienced before. I often felt like the sermons were spoken directly for my benefit, like I was the only one here. Through God's work in my heart, I found myself coming to a place of complete surrender, realizing I wanted to rely only on God for help with whatever I'd face in my life. Not long after I heard about Celebrate Recovery, a Monday night ministry that meets in Lexington, it was difficult for me to go at first. I'd worked so hard for so long to look like I had it all together. And taking off that mask was going to be really tough. But I'm so glad I did it. There I met people who were honest and brave enough to admit their weaknesses and acknowledge their need for God's strength. I'm also in a life community here in Wilmington with wonderful sisters in Christ. The fellowship and sharing we have between ourselves and our children is very special, and I believe God brought us all together for a purpose. In James 5.16, we're told to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you'll be healed. I'm so grateful that Grace Chapel is a place where people do this. We walk authentically and humbly with Christ and with each other. Once I surrendered my life to Christ, I prayed for my marriage to be restored, but it eventually did end in divorce. Through this difficult season, the prayerful support I've received from pastors and friends has helped me to stand firm in my faith in Christ and to continue to rely only on God. I know that he's in control of every part of my life, my children, my health, my job, and I can trust him with all of it. It's been so freeing to realize that it doesn't depend on me, that giving my life is go to God is always better than going it alone, and that his power is made perfect in my weakness. And through simple surrender, I can be the person God made me to be, a beloved child of God who relies on him every day. Thank you. Thank you, Priscilla. Beautiful story. And I can tell you that that story is repeated in lives of people who are sitting around this room over and over and over again, in big ways and in small ways. People coming to the place where the surrender, the beauty of surrender leads to the goodness of life. So as we close, I just want to ask once again, what is it that's making your knuckles white these days? What are you holding on to tightly? Maybe it's dreams, a dream for your life that has become an idol that has inhibited your ability to move forward. Uh, maybe it is a sin that you've excused yourself of or said it's okay, it's not getting in the way, but you know deep down that it is. Anger, laziness, envy, lust, worry, indifference, something you need to lay down and open up. Maybe it's something else. 
So we want to create just a little bit of space here this morning to give you an opportunity to ask yourself and spend time with God in these questions. We'll have a time where the band is going to play instrumentally. And then I'll come up in a few moments and close this in prayer. stand with me. As an act of prayer, I'd, I'd like you to hold out your hands. Hold them fists down. Clenched as tight as you can. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn them up and to open them wide. But I'd like you to consider what is in your hand right now that needs to be released to God. And then pray this simple prayer in your heart to the Lord. As I pray these words of scripture, I encourage you to turn your hand up and to offer that to the God who loves you and who is strong enough to take it and do something beautifully, beautiful and good with it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, may these turned open hands reflect open hearts, spirits that are affected by the presence of God at work in this room this morning, who is willing and able to meet us at our point of resistance and to give us an approach to you through Christ that is loving and merciful and gracious and good. And so, Lord, we offer these things to you. God, maybe there are people here this morning who are offering the whole tree today, their entire lives for the very first time. Lord, we thank you for the mercy and forgiveness that you meet them with as they surrender their life to you. And God, for those who are surrendering something of a relationship or a job or a dream or a hope or their finances or some material thing, Lord, we ask that you would meet them at that point of surrender and lovingly lead them forward in Christ's name. 
Amen. Amen.